Hey, it's Thursday. You guys got a double portion of the Deep End podcast. I'm so excited. I hope you are too. Yesterday, we had question and answers. Today, we go back to the book of Revelation, and we are talking about the closeout on the first half of the book of Revelation. We're halfway there. We're almost to the second half. Can you feel the excitement? I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Thursday, 12 noon, special edition of the Deep End. This is is the Bible. It is the most loved, the most read, the most scrutinized, the most cherished, the most criticized, the most enjoyed, the most studied, the most hated book in the entire world. And this is the Deep End Podcast, where we talk about the Bible in modern day language. And so this year, we're going through the book of Revelation, the most requested book to be studied by Christians in America, and the least desired to be taught by pastors in America. On the Deep End Podcast, we dive deep into to the Bible to help you know what God has to say through this book. Thank you for joining us. This is The Deep End. All right, everybody, Thursday at noon. This feels odd, but I hope you don't feel that odd about it. I really like being here all the time. I hope you do too. Whether you're joining us on Facebook Live or YouTube Live, uh, wherever you are, do me a favor in the comment section right now. Why don't you fill in where you're watching from? We love to know where our audience is tuning in from. And speaking of guests, we have two guests in studio today. Back again for the third time. I like these two guys. Oh, he's counting. He's counting. <laughs> I like That's these bad. two. These guys are like brothers. This is Josh Vining, our youth director here at Waters Church, and our pastoral care director, Chris McEwen. Hello. And Hello. Uh, welcome to the studio again, guys. Yeah, thanks for having Thank us. You. How's everything going for you guys? Good. 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 Yeah. Good. Great week. It's springtime. Yeah. Spring is in the air. It's starting to get nice out. Which Finally. Means yard work and, and good stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Didn't come soon enough. I hate yard work. Even though my, my neighbors were yeah. doing yard work today with a leaf blower, and I've realized that all they do is they blow the leaves over the oh. fence into my door. Oh, that's so, nice. And these are so new now neighbors. I have, yeah. You know so what the I answer have. to that is? What, a bigger back. leaf blower <laughs> <laughs> or a fence, <laughs> but no, he's gonna make nice because these are new neighbors. He just moved. Yeah, so yeah. Yes. yes. Actually, why don't you rake them up and then just you know yes. be um, the Christian? What was yeah. Jesus say? About if your someone, neighbor? yeah, if someone casts leaves onto your yard, <laughs> yeah. open your gate you, to them you, as you well. Tell them get to give twice as many. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so episode nineteen of the deep end. Last uh, Wednesday, uh, we had the uh, question and answer session, yeah. and then uh, we had part two of that yesterday. And so today, we're moving on with episode 19 today because we're going back to Revelation. But before we get there, we're going to talk about the news. We like to talk about the news from a Christian perspective today. So, Chris, you've got a news item for us to discuss uh, in, the, in the opening moments of the deep end. What do you got? I do. So I have a question for you. This question comes from theconversion.com. They ask, should veganism receive the same legal protection as a religion? Veganism. Veganism. As a religion. As a religion, well, it's a philosophy, and there's a lot of philosophies out there. Like, that, what's the philosophy? Uh, well, uh, the philosophy is they they don't want to harm any animals. This is many vegans; they don't want to harm any animals or anything, so they don't agree with eating the meat. But there's been like violence towards some people recently. Towards vegans? Towards vegans, according to this article. Only recently, the editor of a food magazine joked that vegans should be force-fed meat while a bank employee told a <laughs> vegan customer that they should be punched <laughs> after he objected to some vegan graffiti near his home. A bank now, employee yes. said that a vegan should be punched 
Right. Because of what? Vegan graffiti. So maybe he was more upset <laughs> over the graffiti. There's a, there's a the, vegan graffiti gang? It was, it was like a, a Who are these hoodlums? They're, they're graffitiing eggplant everywhere. Drawing eggplants. Yes, all, over all over the, the UK. Yes. yes. Shame on them. So, uh, but this is actually, actually going to the courts there. Um, in, in Article let, 9. Let's make sure we're, we're in the UK, the not UK. the US. No, no, not yet. But not everything yet. that happens in the UK seems to trickle over It does over trickle here. over here. It takes about 10 years. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but Article 9 of the European uh, Convention on Human Rights, to which the UK is part of, also states that individuals have the right to manifest their religion or belief. Now, this topic, I, we, I asked you to share this one because this yeah. is going to come up in the podcast as we talk about Revelation later. Veganism. Well, not veganism, okay. but philosophies and religions. Like, what right. is a religion? Yeah. And I think that we're going to have to address this pretty soon as a culture because this is going to become more of a question as we, as we kind of shirk traditional religious norms, Christianity and, right. and so on. We're going to start embracing all kinds of other religious norms. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you, instead of communion, it's just going to be... Um, Oat crackers, or I don't know. What, for the vegans? For the vegans. Yeah. I mean, are they They can't eat the body and blood. It's going to have to be like the stalk and the root. Right. (laughs) The bud bud and the the petal. (laughs) But no, once once we start giving to any and all, then... Protections, religious protections to whatever group. protections, where does it stop? I know, because this is... Well, this is is the fundamental problem with, again, the decay of moral uh, uh, Christianity in Western society, which is... We forget that Western society is literally built on the Judeo-Christian ethic right, philosophy. Yeah. And so when you, when you take away the foundations, the whole building crumbles. That's what we're seeing. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that that just means, oh, good, we got rid of religion. Thank, now we're free. And this is like the false belief of so many people is to say, let's get rid of religion because religion is all about rules and what we can't do. And we're smarter than that now. And we've grown up and those ancient stories are myths and fables. So let's move on to like science and naturalism and human reason. But, you know, G.K. Chesterton said this over a half a century ago. He was a prophet of his time. Mm -hmm. And he said, when men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. Anything, Yeah. I was just going to say that. You know, didn't you get everyone always has a religion. Everybody has a religion. I think you had a quote on was it Dar- Dawkins? Dawkins. Dawkins. Right. Yes. And he talked Richard about- Dawkins, the father of the New Age atheists. Right. The angry. I call him the angry atheist. The atheist uh, movement that kind of got a lot of traction after 9/11 because religious. It wasn't a nation that attacked us. It was a religious mindset that attacked us. Right. 9/11. People don't realize that it was yeah, Muslim jihadist. So sure. it wasn't necessarily Afghanistan or Iraq. And we debated as a nation as to whether it was Iraq or or, or Afghanistan for you know, basically the first 10 years of that, you know, decade. Um, and no, it wasn't a nation as much as it was a religious philosophy. And right. so the New Age atheist, I call him the angry atheist, led by Richard Dawkins, <laughs> and uh, who else is it? J- um, Sam Harris and okay. uh, Christopher Hitchens, who's dead now. Oh. Uh, these guys wrote all these books, all these atheist manifestos about how stupid religion is. And, you know, the chief among them, R- Richard Dawkins, who wrote The God Delusion. And right. this sold millions of copies. And yeah, I saw a couple of debates he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, he basically came out with a tweet last year. This yeah. is a f- fascinating tweet. And the tweet, basically, I, I can't quote it word for word because he quotes some weird, you know, poet. Uh, it's a great tweet, though. He's very well-spoken. Very mm-hmm. good. Sure. Writes great. But no, nonetheless... He writes in his tweet about, be careful, let's not celebrate the demise of Christian Europe right. for fear of getting something else worse, worse in its place. Yeah. And he's in the UK. Yeah. 
where he's seeing it happen. Where he teaches at Cambridge, right? right. And so he's seeing, like, you, we just joked about it, but it is true. We are about 10 to 20 years behind Europe in right. terms of our cultural movements and shifts. And so he's seeing uh, on the front lines, like, well, maybe we shouldn't have, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, blacklisted uh, Christianity and, Ju- and Judaism in this country because now... Religion doesn't go away. Right. Like, religion does not go away. We talked about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast, too, about in Soviet Russia, where they banned religion across the board, it didn't go away. It went underground. In communist China, it went underground. And today in America, we don't officially ban the Christian religion, but we do a really good job, not we, the church, but America as a whole, does a really good job of belittling the Christian religion. You, yeah, you know, Hollywood. Yeah, to, for instance, and I, this is a good question for you guys in the comment section. Name a movie not written and directed and produced by a Christian organization right. where Christianity is celebrated or in some way made a positive thing in the narrative, in yeah. the plot. Like, yeah. you can't name one. No, the bad no. guy's always <laughs> the bad the guy's always a Christian. Christian. My yeah. favorite movie of all yep. time, Shawshank. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Who's the bad guy? Yep. The warden who yeah. thumps the Bible over yeah. Andy's head yeah, exactly. and basically well, gets it in the end. And you see, too, the really the it, there's only it feels like there's only open season on only one religion and it's Christianity. Yeah, it is. I mean, every and other Judaism. every other religion and Judaism, right? The, every other religion seems to be off limits where people are like, no, you cannot critique that religion. But yeah. when it comes to Christianity or Judaism, jokes can be made. Well, that was the Charlie Hedbo incident, right. you know, mm-hmm. the attack upon Charlie Hedbo because they drew the comic of uh, yeah, right. uh, Muhammad. Uh, Muhammad the uh, and then, but we literally take the Bible and throw it into a toilet, take a picture of it, and say, "Oh, that's beautiful art." Right. Yeah. And you know, nobody says anything. Nothing. Nothing happens. Nobody yeah. blows anybody up because of that. Thank <laughs> God. And look, Thank God. Look what happened over in Australia. And when, they shouldn't. Right. With with uh, you know when that mosque got got under attack, the first yeah. inclination was that had to have been Christians or some. Very right wing conservative sure. Christian people. Yeah, you're talking about Christchurch, New yes. Zealand. Yeah. yeah, and then that's they, what I mean. And then and then you see cir- they circle the wagons around Christians, right? But like, then of course see, it's their fault. And then you see with everything else when when it's another attack and somebody's like that must have been Muslim extremists. Everybody's like, no, 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 you can't come to that. You can't conclusion. come to that conclusion. That's right. a yeah. dangerous conclusion. Yeah. We yeah. must we must not you know. And then what's the uh, thing? Uh, we know we must not. What's the thing where you oh profile? You yeah. profile the person because yeah. they look Muslim. And I agree, we shouldn't profile anybody. Yeah, especially uh, guys with. Beards. Especially guys like yeah. me, I can't get through security if we start profiling. <laughs> but the, you know, the thing is, is that what we have to realize is there is definitely this movement in our country to belittle Christianity, and we are going to see the fruits of this, such as veganism becoming a religion or whatever becoming a religion. And I'm not against you vegans. I I was a vegan last year for a at whole this time. month. Yeah. Yes, for not one okay, month, three, four months, four. four? Four lukewarm months. I was going to say, you were not a strict vegan for four I have lunch months. with you, and those are difficult months. <laughs> they no, were those difficult, were difficult months. months. I really felt bad for my wife because she was cooking two <laughs> meals a day. One for my kids and one for me, and mm-hmm. she was a good soldier for it, but it was I couldn't do it anymore. And we had to go to yeah. two different places of lunch every day to... Yeah. Find you know, in Acts substitute. chapter 10, the Bible says, you know, God shows up with the sheet of the animals to Peter and he says, get up, kill and eat. And I yeah. say, well, if God said it, I got to do it. Amen. <laughs> you know, yep. glad you got converted. It's biblical. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> What's your religion? That's the question of the day. What's your religion if it's not the Christian religion? And you say, I have no religion. I guarantee you have some religion. Mm. 
religion is just basically to be devoted to something. That's really all that it is. Yeah. Yep. And so if it's not going to be God or Christ or whatever, it's going to be your kids. It's going to be your income. It's going to be your standard of living. It's going to be your spouse. Your job. The one, the, the thing that we always say on the on the weekend here at Water Church is those things are great, but they make terrible saviors. Yeah. Mm. You know, a, a boss is I'm not a boss. Uh, an income level is great, and the high and go for it. Get the higher income, please. Make as much money as you possibly can, but it makes a terrible savior. Yeah. A spouse or a significant other is great. Have somebody in your life that you're close to, that you share and do life together with and love, hopefully one person for the rest of your life, uh, until death, but they make terrible saviors. And when we put pressure on these things to become our saviors, that's where the mess starts to happen. Yeah, it's true. Anyways, this is all going to apply to Revelation as we get into it. And we're going to close out the book of Revelation chapter 11. And we're going to close out the first half of the book. I'm excited. So uh, also, as we always say, too, on the podcast here, ask anything. Ask anything at all, and you can ask uh, by texting anonymously um, to the number there on the screen, 508-316-9333. Again, had a great time with the question and answers on the podcast, and I want to get back to that. Oh, and a little news item for the podcast watchers, you guys get the 411 on what's up and coming at Waters Church. After Easter, the week after Easter, now Easter, you all are going to come. I understand that, but I'm going to give you a reason to come the week after Easter, and here's the reason. Cheryl and myself, my wife Cheryl and I are going to take to the stage together to do a marriage series on the very first week after Easter, and it's going to go for four weeks. And we're going to talk about the rooms of the home. We're going to talk about the kitchen and how we handle marriage in the kitchen. And we're going to talk about the family room and how we handle that. And then we're going to talk about the bedroom, of course, because we all know (laughs) there's plenty of questions about that. And then uh, I forget the other room, but we're going to get the other room. Uh, and then what we're going to do in the podcast during that series is we're going to do question and answers with me and Cheryl oh, cool. here on the podcast. Oh, so cool. anything that we talk about on the weekend and you say, I'd like more clarification about that. Uh, I'd like more clarification about roles and, and responsibilities and disciplining children and all that kind of whatever, budgeting and money spending and all that kind of stuff, because we all know every marriage fights about these things. Well, we will be here, and we will be sharing in as much authenticity and transparency as we can what we think the Scriptures speak to in regards to these matters. One thing that you got to see in the Bible is that there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of clarity, like crystal clear clarity about how to do things Christianly. I know we think there is, yeah. but there, there's really not. Like, you know, even budgeting. We really have to dig and kind of like use some scriptures to say, well, this is what, you know, budgeting based on what? Proverbs and a couple of Proverbs scriptures. And, and they are real. But the roles in the marriage and who should do what and all those kind of things. There's a lot of ambiguity in the scriptures. There's a lot of ambiguity. But there are some fundamental truths about how to do marriage that undergird all those things. And I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in saying it like this. My marriage is not your marriage. Your marriage is not my marriage. And you don't have to have my marriage. And I don't want to have your marriage. And I don't want to put pressure on you to have our marriage. And a lot of Christians do that. They want to have somebody else's marriage. We don't want that. We want oh, you to have your marriage. covered in something, But right? do it God's way and yeah. let God speak to you through those undergirding principles. Anyway, marriage series coming up after Easter. So come Easter, but then come the next week because you're not going to want to miss it. And if you're single, don't let this, oh, it's marriage, be, oh, I'm not going to go. No, it's also for singles to understand marriage. Because I think, you know, 
when you buy a car, you want to know what does the car cost? <laughs> you know, how many times do I have to change the oil and all that kind of stuff? Well, when you get married, don't you want to kind of know what it's going yeah, to cost? What good. Are you gonna do? Oh, you got now, two you unmarried two guys, guys here. So. Unmarried. I don't know. I, I hang out with a lot of unmarried what's, guys. Yeah, what's, what's that? I don't know why. What's that say about you? What does that say about I me? I don't know. Maybe, find out more. I hope I'm, I'm, a, I hope I'm good <laughs> advertising for a happy marriage. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're trying to learn from you. I, I'm praying yeah. for you So guys. that's, yeah, well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. We need that. Well, you're, if you're going to learn from me, you're destined for great marriages. Let me just tell you oh, that. Okay. Nice. Okay. Good. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Let's see who gets married first. All right. We got to get into the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. All right. Revelation chapter 11. 11 verses 15 to 19. This is where we have come to, ladies and gentlemen. Finally. The end of the first half of the book. Revelation is 22 chapters long, and yes, it's one of those rare instances where the halfway marker of the book is actually the literal numerical chapter halfway through the book. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 and 19. Let's take a look at it. The title of the talk today is, The Kingdom is Our Lord's. The Kingdom, singular, is our Lord's. Because I, I, and I just stressed Kingdom singular there because we have a common misconception about this passage that we need to sort out here. Let's read it, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. So now this is the conclusion of the trumpet blowing in the book of Revelation. So the seventh angel blows his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom, there it is, single, singular, not plural. A lot of times we quote this verse out of context. We say yeah. the kingdoms of the world. No, it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, remember them up in heaven? They represent the church. The 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and uh, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, and they are still raging to this day. But your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. That time has come, he says. Verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen. Very important point there. The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And thus concludes the first half of Revelation. So before we get into these verses, I want to recap. Now remember, this is the basic fast, you know, fast tracking up to this point in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 John sees Jesus. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down for my servants what you see and hear, because what, is it, what you're about to see and hear pertains to what has happened, what is happening, what will happen, past, present, future. So he says, okay. And, and in Revelation chapter 1, John falls down on his face and sees the glorified risen Jesus and all that kind of stuff. So that's what happens in Revelation 1. Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus writes letters to his seven churches. A seven, the number seven, big number in the book of Revelation. Talks about completion, talks about the totality of God's work. Uh, the number four represents earth. The number three represents heaven. There are three witnesses in heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Add three to four, add heaven to earth, you get seven. So this is why seven is such a big number. Heaven is invading earth through what? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ through the church that presents the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. Those seven churches are, are reprimanded, corrected, encouraged, um, spurred on, 
in sometimes in some ways celebrated by the Lord Jesus in those seven letters. That's Revelation two and three. Revelation four and five, the heavenly throne room vision. John sees those twenty four elders. He sees the four living creatures. What do they represent? We talked about that in like episode three. Living creatures basically represent the powers of heaven. The twenty four elders represent. The Old Covenant, New Covenant people of God, the 12 patriarchs, the 12 apostles of Christ together, add them together, becomes 24. 24 is uh, two 12s. 12 is the number of governing authority in the Bible. So you have the Old Testament governing authority. You have the New Testament governing authority added together. You become one uh, dual covenant, if you will, uh, people of God. So the 24 elders represent the church or those who belong to God through faith in Christ Jesus. And we know that they are not angels. Some people say they're angels, but we know they're not angels. How do we know? Because never, ever, ever in the scriptures do angels ever sit on a throne. Mm. But Jesus promised his disciples they would sit on thrones, yeah. right? So anyway, the 24 elders, then the heavenly uh, throne room vision, that's Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 6 and 7, the seven seals judgment, seven seal judgments, that's the four horsemen. We talked about that. Uh, how they represent the gospel going into the world, causing um, uh, men to be conquered by the gospel, divisions within families and nations because of the gospel, uh, uh, economic upheaval because of the gospel throughout history that this happened, this has happened, uh, and then ultimately the judgment of God upon the enemies of the gospel, the fourth horseman. Then we talked about the last three seals, uh, the seven trumpet judgments begin in Revelation chapter 8. We are concluding the seven trumpet judgments. And the trumpet judgments bring judgment um, uh, upon those who oppose the gospel and oppose those who belong to Christ. And then finally here in, in Revelation eleven fifteen, we are at the final trumpet. Now, something interesting happens in these series of sevens. You have the seven seals that right. open the scroll. Yep. Okay. Seven. Then you have the seven trumpets. Right. We're in yep. the seventh trumpet now. And then we're going to get to the seven bowl judgments. Oh, yeah. Now, what's interesting is the seventh seal actually encompasses the seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet actually is going to encompass the seven bowls. Okay. So it's very interesting. Just, in, just so you, Yeah. So we know what's happening here is that the seven always represents a totality of whatever that thing, that seventh thing represents. So whereas the seventh seal represents God's judgment upon the earth for those who reject him, and then those seven trumpets are blown, bringing those those the wrath of God upon the nations because of their rejection, the seventh trumpet now is actually going to unveil an even more arduous judgment upon the enemies of God, but at the same time is going to show us how God preserves and protects his people. But we are not preserved and protected, and this is very important for you to hear, without knowing how we are preserved and protected. Okay, You can't just expect God to protect you without knowing how he protects you. You know, the yeah. Bible says, he who dwells in the shadow of the Most High shall abide under, uh, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You need to dwell in the secret place to get under the shadow of the Almighty. In other words, that's Psalm 91, right? So you can't just be an ignorant Christian. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that I see in the church today. And this is why we have the Deep End Podcast. This is why I am so passionate about what we do here. Because you've got to deepen your knowledge of God's Word so that you're not taken captive by false arguments, lies of the devil, uh, the deceptions and the seductions of the age, yeah, because good. every age has seductions and deceptions, yes? Sure, yeah. yeah right? And you know what's true, and remember, big overarching theme of the study of Revelation is, Revelation is teaching God's people what is really real, 
So you have what's real, what you see, touch, taste, feel, smell, right? But there's something behind that. And Revelation is pulling back the curtain so that you can see this is what's behind that. And especially for Christians, because being a Christian is not a fairy tale. Being a Christian is not the answer to all your problems in life. Being a Christian is not the yellow brick road to the Wizard of Oz where you get back home. It's filled with trouble. It's filled with trials. It's filled with difficulties. Yeah. Yep. And you are going to sometimes feel as a Christian, is this worth it? Like, <laughs> my life before Christ seemed a lot less complicated. Yeah. It only seems a lot less complicated for two reasons. Number one, hindsight yeah. and you know, nostalgia are often tainted by our emotional you know, capacities to kind of look at the past through rose-colored glasses. Yeah, right? that's true. Like, you ever do that with your life, guys? You ever look at your past, oh, it was so much easier when I was this. But when you were that, you were miserable. Right? Yeah, you know, I like, get remembered all the time. I mean, there's some things that in a moment I might wish that I might be able to do that I can't do anymore, right? But then I look at what my life was like back then, sure. and I quickly remember, no, I never want to go right. back there. Right. Never want to go it's back funny there. funny how when you... Uh, <clears throat> Break up with somebody, right? Mm. You, oh, there you, you go. That's a you good forget. Yeah. You forget all those bad things. You look back like, oh, oh. you know, but it was so good. We and were so happy. And together. you forget all those horrible fights right. and all those arguments. Yeah, and that's like, good. Well, I, mean, I don't know what you're talking about because every day with Cheryl it just gets better. And better. <laughs> Stay tuned. This for the is just in case she's listening yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, honey. Um, so, anyway, yeah, yeah, but nostalgia, right? We yeah. think, oh, that those times were so much better. Okay, no, look, your life before Christ was miserable. That's why you came to Christ. Yeah. That's why. That's why you bowed the knee and came to Christ, okay? But it doesn't mean now that everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be better, but not easy. Right. So you're going to have a, a reason to live. You're going to have a purpose. You're going to have meaning. You're going to have value. You're going you're gonna to feel connected to God. Those things are better. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that they're easy. And you see this in the Bible over and over again. David is anointed uh, in front of his brothers to be king, and everything goes poorly for him from that moment forward until, like, He's 33, so from age 17 to 33, what's that, 16 years? Yeah, not too easy. 16 years of hell as he yeah. runs from Saul's spears and runs from his enemies and hides in caves and is sometimes thirsty and parched and has nothing, and he's alone and empty and feels betrayed and everything in 16 years, but he's still anointed, yeah. and he eventually becomes king. Well, you are anointed. The Bible says in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 2, it says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and so that anointing in you is real, Abide in Christ. I'm just saying all this to say this, that Revelation is teaching us how do we get protected in these troublesome times? How do we push through those difficult seasons of the Christian experience? Because the Christian gospel is rejected by most, and we have to learn how to handle that and live uh, strong in Christ. Okay. So, like I said, we are in the seventh angel blowing his trumpet, and these, uh, the Bible says here that there were loud voices in heaven. The kingdom, it says the kingdom is singular, the kingdom of the world. Now, why do I make such a point about it being singular? Because I know that there are several kingdoms in the world in terms of, like, nations, in terms of, like, empires, and historically there have been several kingdoms. But ultimately, what this, what this little verse is actually hinting at here is there is really only one kingdom of the world. Because there's really only one world leader, and that person is Satan. This, is, this, is, um, this correlates with so many other passages of the Scriptures. Remember when Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness three times. The third temptation, uh, Satan says to Jesus, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Yeah. All the kingdoms of the world were really under his kingdom. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that the whole, the whole world is under the power of the wicked one. 
the God of this world, right, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So there's a kingdom of this world. There is a kingdom of this world. And this kingdom of the world is under the control and domain of Satan. You say, how did he get, how did he get domain? How did he get sovereignty? You want to know? We gave it to him. <laughs> Adam and Eve gave it to him. They surrendered their dominion. Remember, the, the initial command of God to Adam and Eve is, have dominion, rule and subdue the earth. It's all yours. And instead of trusting and living in God's word, they listened to Satan's word. And the moment that they obeyed Satan, they abdicated their roles as sovereigns over creation to him. They gave him dominion where he didn't have dominion. So it was surrendered. Guess what? Christ came to bring back under control creation to those who are in him. He undoes what Adam did. Where Adam failed in the Garden of Eden, Jesus passes the test. What garden does he pass the test in? Two gardens. First, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays, not my will, but your will be done. And then in the garden tomb where he rises to new life, he is resurrected and given authority. And he says to Mary in the garden at the resurrection, what does he say? All authority has been given to me. And now I go to your father and my father, your God and my God. I've given you now. Those who are in Christ are given redeemed um, authority and dominion over the world, which means that your prayers are powerful in Christ. (laughs) which means that you have authority in his name. This is why the disciples could go out and cast out demons in Jesus' name. This is why we can heal the sick. We can, and we still do see this happen on a regular basis as Christians all over the world. This is why I believe that Christians should not live under the circumstances of life. They should live above them. They should live stronger than they're they're living. The reason why they don't live stronger than they're living is because they're ignorant of what the Scripture teaches. They have not gotten into the Scriptures. They have not gotten into the Word of God. The Word of God is what established dominion for Adam and Eve. When they heard him say, have dominion, they were given dominion. Listen to me very carefully. This is why you need to listen to God's Word so that you reclaim what is yours in Christ Jesus, dominion and authority over your life and over the problems of your life, okay? So let's get into uh, where we are at here in terms of just scheduling for the four views. Remember the four views of of Revelation, historicist, uh, the sweeping panoramic view of history from Christ's ascension to the Father in AD 33 to Christ's return, the preterist, which is the uh, Jewish destruction, the Jewish temple destruction in AD 70. Basically, it's all before that. Revelation is all about what happened before that. Uh, the Futurist, which believes that this is about only the end times, uh, the first half and the second half of the tribulation, the last seven years of human history. And then the Spiritualist, which is we look for eternal truths in the book of Revelation. Okay. Well, when it comes to Revelation chapter 11, the first half book of the book closing, the Historicist says this is the end of papal or the Pope's corruption, corruptive leadership over the church in about 1600 AD. Mm. So they're, on the schedule of history, they're saying Revelation 11 closing, 1600 AD. Why? Because the Bible is now getting mass produced and handed out to all people. People are reading the Bible for themselves. They're getting God's word. Uh, the church is getting the church is losing its controlling and manipulative ex, uh, control over people because of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, the priesthood of believers, all these truths that the Protestant Reformation kind of gives birth to, and uh, so they see that this is the first half, the end of that first half of human history when the church is no longer like sovereign over everything and, and God's word is getting out to the masses. The preterist says this is the end of the Jewish temple, of course, and the inauguration of the Christian church. 
So when it says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord, it's talking about the fact that now, because of the destruction of the temple in AD 70, that, that temporary kingdom of this temple and the sacrifice is over, and now the church moves forward through the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and all the Old Testament truths, right? The future, it says, simple. The first half of the tribulation is over. Three and a half, we're three and a half years into the last seven years of human history. And then the spiritualist says, this is just the Lord again, bringing judgment on evildoers and rewards upon the righteous. Uh, and this happens over and over again throughout human history. There's still a lot of revelation left, so we're not done, right? So seventh trumpet is finally blown. And you got to remember that seven, the uh, trumpets in the scriptures were always blown uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, festive reasons. There's joy. To, there's a reason to be joyful. So you blow the trumpets and you celebrate and you call a holy feast or solemn convocation in the Old Testament. Secondly, to marshal God's people into war. Mm -hmm. So to blow the trumpet is to say, let's go to war and, and fight our uh, battles. And, and third, the seventh trumpet called for a solemnity, a, a sense of um, quiet before God. So those three things. Now you think about this, and I quick pop quiz for you guys. Think about yep. this. Where do we blow a trumpet where it's solemn in even our generation? Where it's solemn. Oh, uh, funerals. Right? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, military funerals. Yeah, yeah, when people die in yeah. the military, right? So yeah. we, we blow the trumpet. Why? We want, we want people to quiet themselves. So those three things, when you think about the trumpets, you got to think about that. We've got a reason to be joyful. We've got a reason to fight. We've got to call to arms. Mm. And we've got to call to be solemn before the Lord. And I think that's a th good, you know, wow. mixture of what it means yeah, to be Christian. That's cool. We should celebrate, but it's not all celebration. It's fighting. You're going to fight. You're going to fight the forces of this evil world. You're going to fight the fleshly lusts right up in here, right? And you're also going to fight for the gospel to spread throughout the world, right? And so we got we to celebrate, we got to fight, and we got to quiet ourselves. And I wonder what kind of Christian are you? Uh, maybe you're a Christian that is all celebration. You're just looking for the life of constant celebration. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to always be you know, up here on the mountain. It's no. just not possible. Yeah, but some do act like that. Look for it, yeah. You're going to have some mountaintop experiences. Sure. Yeah. Like, we've had a couple recently, right? Yeah, Guatemala, yeah. my Guatemala brothers over here. Right? Yeah. 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 Mountaintop experiences, but you got to come down, and there's the real valley where there's real people and real problems. Yeah. I think that God gives us the mountaintop experience so that we can get into the valley and do some damage for the mm, kingdom of God. There you go. Right? Amen. But you can't just be a celebration-only Christian. There's a lot of Christians. And, and, and let me just say this. There's a little pastoral care for you here on the deep end today. When you are a celebration-only Christian, you're one of these up-and-down Christians. This is why we don't see you for three months at church. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because sure. what happened was the celebration ended and you didn't know what to do with yourself. Yeah. Oh, life sucks. I can't go to church anymore. <laughs> wait, wait a second. No, you've just entered into the battle. And it doesn't mean now that you're in the battle does not mean you give up going on ch going to church because guess what we are summoning you at church into the battle. Yeah, you're getting truth that helps you fight back against the lies right. of the enemy. What is the battle of the Christian life? The battle of the Christian life is a fight for ideas. What's up in your head? Mm. What's going? What do you believe? Yeah. So yep. when you come to church, and and this is a problem I think with America with the American church, <laughs> people come to church in America to hear what they already believe. Yeah, it's like uh, going to yeah. Fox or CNN News. Right? Yeah, let, let me come and confirm what I already believe. That's not the point of coming to church. No. Right. You should come to church to hear some things that you don't currently believe. Mm -hmm. For what reason? So that you change your thinking yeah, beliefs. Yeah, grow. Yeah. Because your beliefs are not working out so well for you right now. 
And mine aren't either. When I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself first a lot of times. I need to get to God's word so that I get my beliefs changed. If you come to a church and you don't agree with what's being said by the preacher, it might not be the preacher that's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Amen. If it's in the Bible, it's definitely not the preacher that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, that's why, you know, we at our church, we stand up, we read the scriptures, we open it, we want you to open it and read it with us because we want to make sure that you know, I'm not sharing my ideas. This is not, this is not, you know, I'm not Dr. Laura. I'm not Dr. Not, does anybody know who Dr. Laura is in the no, studio? No, Doc, no, Dr. Phil. She's like my, fa- my wife's Phil. favorite per radio person. Dr. Phil. I'm not Oprah, yeah. right? I'm not Chopak, uh, Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am a minister of the gospel. I am a teacher of God's word. So sometimes you got to learn how to come to church when life sucks and get ideas that you don't want, yeah. that you don't believe, so that your mind can be changed. Be, uh, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? Through the renewing of your mind. Your mind is old. It needs to be renewed. How does it get renewed? Through the word of God. Anyway, are you a celebration-only Christian? Are you a solemn-only Christian? Oh, like these are the these are the people that depress you. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know. Oh, a I definitely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have some personal experience yeah, with these kind of people. Bit, these yeah. are the people that they're always dour. Yeah. yeah these are the people that oh, oh we got to be quiet. Oh, it's just <laughs> you know just pressing through. I'm just getting by. Like oh gosh, please. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to carry on this conversation much longer. <laughs> you know, and I and I get it. Let's be solemn. Let's have those moments, but let's have them as moments. Like they're not. Right. You don't. Or you're not meant to live in in the mortification of the flesh. Like you're not meant to live in this mortuary existence, right? Yeah. And then are you the? And then this is the third category. Are you the fighting only Christian? Yeah. You ever meet these people? Yeah, they, they just want to argue. argue. They want to fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, I know plenty and of them. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a good fight. Like they, Their only goal in life is to win people to Christ. That's their only goal. So everybody's a project for them. Everybody's like, hey, have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ? Oh, you don't want to hear it? Okay, I'm done with you. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't live like that either. You've got to have balance. A lot of the Christian life is balance. Mm. It's just balance. Like, chill out. You know, battle people. And cheer up <laughs> depressed people. And, you know, hey, people who can't handle when they're not happy all the time. Well, enjoy those seasons when you're not happy because it makes the happy times so much sweeter. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Good. A little pastoral care here on the, on the Deep End podcast. We need to go there sometime. We appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the kingdom, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. So Satan's kingdom has become Jesus's kingdom. Now you say, well, wait a second. I look at the world. It doesn't look like that. Well, because... Being a Christian is both a present and future reality. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians don't realize this. You are eternally saved now, and you are being saved as you grow deeper into Christ. It is present and future, and you will one day be permanently saved in heaven forever. Yeah. Well, the reality that Christ reigns on the earth is both a present and future reality. It is a present reality in the same way that David, going back to David, was anointed to be king well before he ever sat on the throne in Israel. He was anointed while Saul was still on the throne. Here's where we live, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Here's where we live. We live in that time frame between David's anointing to be king and David actually getting the kingdom 16 years later. Mm. During that span of time, Saul, the evil, wicked, self-serving king, is running around and looking like he's in charge. But he's not. Yeah. He's just got a temporary leash 
that God is going to pull in at some point and put his chosen son on the throne. That's where we live. That's the same thing. So the anointed son has been anointed to be king. It's a foregone conclusion. He's going to take the throne. Right now, Saul is still running around. Saul, Satan, Satan's power, Satan's authority, Satan's kingdom. It looks like he's in charge, but he's not. And Christian, you have to realize that. It might look like Satan's in charge, but he's not. So we got to go on. Verse 16. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones fell before God on their faces and worshiped and said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is. You have taken your great power and begun to reign. The church must learn how to celebrate this, must learn how in awe and reverence and celebration and fighting, fighting through, know that it is a foregone conclusion that Christ will rule and reign over earth in a, re, in a physical reality as much as it is right now in a spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. And so this is good news for us. The revelation is teaching the church how to be the church, is teaching the church how to face the hardships that we face as all Christians do everywhere in one way or another and not throw up our hands in the air and flip out and fall to pieces. We worship through the problem. That's what happens here. The 24 elders sit on the throne. They fell on their faces and they worshiped God. So my question to you is, and you guys can speak to this because I know there's a reality in your life. When life stinks and is coming at you, yeah. one of the best things that you can do is worship through it. Yeah, yeah. all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Yeah. 100%. Like you got to get yourself to church and worship through the crap. <clears throat> Definitely. 100%. You've been there. Yeah, I've been there. You know? and, and usually the, the number one ga- uh, gameplay that I always say that, that Satan tries to do is isolate. Yeah. yeah. He tries to keep you isolated keep by yourself instead of being in community worshiping together yeah. with other believers. Exactly. It's so powerful. And in, in, I don't know if it happens. I know it happens for you guys, but I don't know if it happens for you and should. You don't feel like going to church. No. You yeah. make the decision to go, and then you're so glad you went. Oh, All yeah. the time. Uh, right yeah. after my mom passed, um, there were months and months where it, I didn't even want to leave my house. You know, going to work was a chore. Sometimes I didn't make it through the whole day at work. But every weekend I was filled and so happy. And it was a struggle to come to church those times. But like you said, I was so happy I came, surrounded by, by people that sometimes were on that, mm-hmm. that you know, top of the mountain. And it lifted me back up and reminded me. Mm. You know, so, yeah, that helped get me through it. And, and even times when there's times even being at church like that, just things are so tough that you don't even want to raise your hands in worship sometimes. Mm-hmm. But after just you do, you just do after them. you do, yeah. and that, just that surrender, you feel it, yeah, and, and worshiping. You know, so, raising your hands in the Bible is a command. It's yeah. not a suggestion. Yeah, raise your. Paul hands says, too. "I want men everywhere, and he means men and women lifting up holy hands in prayer." Yeah, yeah. you know, these people say, oh, "I don't lift my hands; it's too, it's too irreverent." The, the mournful crowd, right? Yeah, of course, right. The super mournful. <laughs> well, wait a second. <laughs> the the same guy who will criticize Christians for raising their hands goes to the football game and. Suddenly, he turns into a Pentecostal. Yeah. <laughs> Tom goes, oh, hey, hallelujah. Woo. You know, he's not saying hallelujah. He's saying other things, right? But he's, he's suddenly, suddenly now he's worshiping with physical reflection because it's a sign of joy. And I say this to our church all the time. Raising your hands is a universal sign for two things, victory and surrender. Yeah. And so when you raise your hands to Christ, you're actually doing both. You're surrendering in victory. You're surrendering in victory. The moment that you surrender, you win. The moment you surrender to Christ, you win. You become a victor. Mm-hmm. You gotta learn how to do this. You gotta learn how to worship through your worry. You gotta learn how to worship through your trials and tribulations. You gotta. You have to learn how to worship uh, 
the way David learned how to worship in the wilderness before he actually got to that throne. Mm. See, what kept David alive and well during those 16 years in which he ran from Paul, Saul and struggled, even though he knew he was anointed to replace Saul, was worship. We get some of the best psalms in the Bible from those years, those 16 years of David running yeah, and hiding. Yeah, yeah. And th- those, those songs become the worship, the hymn book of ancient Israel. And even still to this day, many of our modern worship songs basically draw from the psalms written by David when his life stunk. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you think about like, um, I, did you guys see that movie, I Can Only Imagine? Yeah, about I did. Mercy Me. And I did. Yep. The, the, I don't think I did. The song that changed that guy's life, I can only imagine. You know, he was a struggling Christian artist and he wasn't getting a break. And then he, his father dies. Right. And he suddenly has this epiphany of him seeing his father, who he won to Christ right before he died, going into the gates of heaven. And he writes out this beautiful song. And that song became an instant sensation, not just in the church, but actually in the secular radio stations they were playing it. I think yeah. it went up to the, the top 100 somewhere. Yeah, The song was inspired by his season of hardship. Right. His father passed away. His, his musical life was not taking off, but he didn't give up. And sometimes you got to learn how to do that in your life. Don't give up. Learn how to sing through the sorrows of your life. Because I think that God gives you some of the best songs in the sorrowful times of your life. And, and I think that they resonate with others. Do you know why they resonate with others? Because everybody's suffering in one way or another. Right. And if we can learn, if we can learn how to worship God in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of struggle, others are inspired to join us in the song. That's what's happening here in Revelation chapter 11. Okay, verse 18. The nations raged. Look at this. The nations raged, but your wrath came. Now, the word raged and wrath here are the same in Greek. They're the same words. The nations had wrath or anger. But your wrath came. And the good news for the Christian is God's wrath is always stronger and overrides the, <laughs> the world's wrath. Okay? So the nation's rage, you got to realize this. A lot of Christians, they don't like to talk about this. They don't realize this, but it's true. Um, the nations hate the message of the cross. You know, the, 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 the world leaders, we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast, but... You know, North Korea is run by a, a sadistic, narcissistic dictator yeah. who hates the Bible. Right. Hates about you get caught in North Korea with the Bible, you're done. Yeah. You're executed. Yeah. Right? He, why? <laughs> why? Yeah. Because the nations naturally hate God. Now, North Korea is the extreme example, but we just talked about it a few moments ago in America. Sure. Where we just talked about the fact that the only religion that is up that is fair play with the insults. All insults. Christianity. Christianity. Think about the fact that the name Jesus Christ is a swear word, a byword in our culture. Almost every TV. Could you imagine? Could it ever be Buddha or Muhammad? No. It would never happen. (laughs) Why? Because the nations hate, they rage against God. But the good news that the Christian is learning here through Revelation is but God's wrath, God's wrath is going to override their wrath. So just relax. Relax. America Christians are getting worried. Worried that at any moment your freedom of religion is going to take away and all that kind of stuff. And oh my God, uh, relax. Uh, our Christian brothers and sisters across the world have suffered far more egregiously for the cause of Christ. And God has vindicated them throughout history. He will vindicate you. Mm-hmm. Then it says the time for the dead to be judged. And this is an important reminder for everybody that there will be a judgment in your life. There will be a judgment. And, and, and when it comes to judgment, many Christians don't know this either. You've got a choice of one of two judgments. And every human being has this choice. One of two judgments. 
The first choice, which I beg you to make, is that you let God judge Jesus for your sins. Mm -hmm. Because he already did 2,000 years ago on the cross. Jesus went to the cross for the sins of the world. He took the just judgment of your sins upon himself. He was separated from the Father for the first time in eternity. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first time Jesus talks directly to the Father and doesn't call him Father, but calls him my God. The separation happened. Mm. He was judged eternally. He was, he was separated from the Father for your sins. Now, that's the judgment that I've chosen. That's the judgment you guys have chosen. Yes. And if you choose that judgment, oh. good news, the, the sins in your life have been judged. Amen. Once and for all, and it's done. Yeah. Uh, which means you don't have to carry that guilt around it forever. It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that you get to sin. It means that you get to be thankful that you're, if you do sin, you have an advocate before the Father who says, Father, you've already judged me for their sins. I have taken their place. Amen. And your sins are not counted against you. Yeah. Um, but then the second judgment, which is reserved for those who reject that judgment. If you reject Christ's work on the cross for your sins... There's only one other option, and that is your judgment. Yeah. And I beg you not to take that one because that one's eternity separated from God forever. Yeah. Hell. And uh, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a place you want to be. Uh, but he says this is the time. So it basically is unpacking the realities that we need to remind ourselves of because these things carry us through. Uh, Revelation 11. And then he says, and rewarding your servants, the prophets, and the saints. And this is an important phrase because... We have to remember that we are now partners with the prophets and those who fear your name as New Testament believers. In the Old Testament, it would say, your servants, the prophets. But now he adds, in the New Testament, your servants, the prophets, and saints. So it's no longer just the prophets, but the saints. The church is not just prophets, it's saints. It's, it's regular people right. being Christian, doing their Christian thing, where they work. You don't have to be a preacher, pastor, missionary to do something significant for the cause of Christ, and to be rewarded for it. Right. There's a lot yeah. of people who think Christ is only going to reward the pastors and the missionaries who give their lives overseas. No. Everything that you do for Christ gets rewarded. Which And there's even a moment where Jesus says to the disciples, even the person who gives a cup of cold water yeah, to, one, to of one of my servants yeah. will surely not lose his reward. Jesus is like making it as simple as possible. A cup mm. of cold water is going to get your reward. Yeah. Which means get busy earning those more? rewards. Yeah, that's good. You know, you think about I think about credit cards who promise rewards. The more you spend, the more <laughs> rewards you get. But they're they're indebting you to get rewarded. Christ has taken your debt and then gives you rewards. Cool. And you get a heavenly credit card in the sense of everything that you do, everything that you do, whatever it is, for others in the name of Christ. Okay, not for God. Because God doesn't need your good works. Martin Luther was saying this. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor does. Mm. Okay? Nothing that you do, like these people, these, uh, these self-deniers, like, I'm giving up, I'm giving up um, my car for God. I, 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 I gave it up for God. And, and I don't know where it went, whatever. They gave it up. And they think that's ascetic lifestyle, that God is suddenly like up in heaven saying, oh, thank you. I, right. I really wanted you to be miserable for me. Yeah. Like, that's not, he doesn't need that. <laughs> he he needs you to take those good works that you want to do and do them for your neighbor. And they will be and, and you will be rewarded for that. And then it says this, both small and great. The point being, it doesn't matter what it is, small and great gets rewarded. Which just reminds me about the big offering this week for uh above and beyond. Yeah. And sweet, whether yeah. it's a big offering or a small offering, it's small a, it's gonna be rewarded. Uh and then lastly, and for those, it says, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth destroying the destroyers of the earth. 
and this brings me to uh, something that's going to lead into the second half of Revelation, because what, what we're going to see now as we get into the second half of Revelation is there are four principal forces that are destroying the earth. The word here for destroy, too, in verse uh, 18 is referring to not just physical destruction, but moral destruction. Moral and physical destruction. That's what we're seeing in the world today. And there's four forces. Now, this is we're turning the page on the first half of Revelation to the second half of Revelation now. And I want to unpack these four forces. Okay, the first force is Satan. And we're going to see this in Revelation chapter 12 right away. Satan is the king of this world cosmically right now that we see. He is, he is the Saul. He's the Saul of our age, right? He looks like he's in charge. His kingdom is coming to an end. But it doesn't mean he's not going to be active. The, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the, your enemy, the devil, roars like a roaring lion, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's active right now in the world today, okay? But the second power, the second force that we have to be aware of in the book of Revelation and in our time is what the Bible calls in the book of Revelation the beast or the dictator beast. I call him the unifying political power slash leader of this age. The unifying, listen to this, political power slash leader of this age. Does anybody notice that politics in our country are becoming religious Oh, yeah. yeah. We were talking about veganism becoming... This is why I said this is yeah, going to yeah. tie in to the talk on Revelation. Veganism is becoming a religion. Well, maybe for a few quacks out there. But politics and political adherence is becoming a, a, a religion. Yeah. The, the once tolerant, um, tolerant people are becoming tremendously intolerant to anyone who disagrees with their version of tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. Believe how I believe, or yeah, or I won't believe it. Yeah. Don't don't step out of bounds. The moment you step out of bounds, you're done. We're cutting yeah. you off. We're yeah. getting you out. We're we're blacklisting you forever. You're never you're not allowed to operate anywhere ever. Period. Remember at uh, President Barack Obama's second inauguration, they scheduled Louis Giglio, a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, yep. to come and offer the convocational prayer. Right, and it came out that he said something about homosexuality being a sin back right. in 1992. Right, how dare he. And the wolves were released. Mm -hmm. And he literally had to literally just back out because he said, I'm not going to fight this fight. This is not a fight worth fighting for. Yeah. He literally backed out and they had some you know, pro-homosexual pastor get up there and pray over the presidency. Yeah. The intolerant of the tolerant. The intolerance yeah. of the tolerant. But what I'm trying to show you is these are the forces the Bible talked about in Revelation 2,000 years ago. This unifying political power, leader of this age, that's going to religiously pull people in and say, follow me. This is why, this is why Richard Dawkins says maybe we shouldn't shove Christianity out right. of Europe so fast because what we get in replace is actually far worse. Mm -hmm. Number three is the false prophet. Because every leader needs a prophet who speaks for him. And this is going, and I call this the alluring spiritual leader of the age. And this is, it doesn't have to be necessary. I don't know. My interpretation of Revelation is it's not necessarily one person. Mm -hmm. Although if you're a futurist, it is one person. Which I think it could be that too. It could be in the future, in the last seven years, if you're a futurist, and there's a case to be made for it, that there is one, you know, kind of guru prophetic person that oversees the religious culture of our of our world. But what I'm just trying to say to you, Christian, is don't be ignorant to the fact that there is a false prophet spirit already alive and well in the world today. Right. 
this idea that if you don't fall in line with our view of religion, with our view of spirituality, with our view of what makes a human a human, with our view of anything, well, we're just going to annihilate you. We're going to make fun of you. We're going to outcast you. We're going to, you know, rob you of your rights and so on and so forth. And this is going to happen more and more as we see the day approaching of Christ's return. It has been happening since he left and is going to happen until he comes again. And then the fourth force, which we don't really pay a lot of attention to, of attention to in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, but is a huge character in the book of Revelation, Babylon. Number four, Babylon. I call it the corrupting whore of indulgence and luxury. The corrupting whore of indulgence and luxury. Strong words, but listen. Babylon represents the excess uh, indulgence of our age. Mm. And uh, we're seeing that more and more in our country. Uh, you know, there's the political left who call this uh, income inequality. And by the way, I agree with the political left about this. Income inequality is a huge problem in our country. It is a huge problem. Uh, and we're also just seeing that people, more than ever before, are spending money like crazy to live the good life. Sure. Yeah. And what they do is they spend money that they don't have. Yeah, yeah. getting dead over it. And they get charged these instant these interest rates at 18 to 25% by who? The by people, people. who own the banks, <laughs> the super rich. Yeah, so right. you have the super rich absolutely exploiting the foolishness of the poor mm. who charge all kinds of luxuries and credit cards that they don't need. Yeah. And you have to understand that the Bible speaks to this in Revelation. Watch out for serving your selfish indulgences in excess. Mm. There's a difference between enjoying things and indulgence. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Right. Go out and have a good meal. I, I'm all for you going to a four-star restaurant. I'm all for you going to one of those Yelp $4 sign restaurants. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. Good, good for you. But you don't need it all the time. Right. You don't need um, every high-end everything all the time. And you don't need like the expensive watch, the expensive car, the expensive jewelry, the expensive clothing all the time. Mm. These things are fine. But watch out for when it becomes something that starts to corrupt you. Mm. That's what it, the word key word there is. Yeah. The spirit of the age where I got to have it, 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 I got to have it because this keeps this gives me value. This gives me worth. This gives me meaning. This is my this is my God. This is my religion. Yeah. If you will. Keep chasing more. Keep never, chasing because it's never, it's never, never enough. enough. Never you enough. know, these things I, I'm speaking with an Apple laptop and an iPad and, you know, I got the Apple watch. I got us. I got some indulgences. But yeah. <laughs> what's the thing is, is that every year they come up with a new one. Right. And, you know, it becomes a game where you're just chasing, 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 and it becomes, it, they're great tools, but they can become corrupting influences in your life where you spend money that you don't have yeah. and you become indebted. The Bible says the, the borrower is slave to the lender mm -hmm. and you become slavery to these passions and these pleasures. And you got to understand that this is the world that we live in and it's going to get worse and worse as the day, as the day approaches. So be aware of this stuff. Be aware. These are the four forces. Satan. Dictator, beast, unifying political power, false prophet, alluring spiritual leader, and Babylon, the city, the glorious city of our world that promises you a life of ease and luxury. And it's a really, it's a false hope. So last verse. Then God's temple in heaven, verse 19, was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within this temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and heavy hail. He's gone back up into heaven. He's, see, or he's seeing back up into heaven. It's a reminder that Revelation is helping us see things from heaven's perspective. And it sees, what does he see? He sees... The Ark of the Covenant. Very important passage here. He sees the Ark of the Covenant, not Noah's Ark. This is the Ark that the Israelites carried around in the wilderness 
uh, for 40 years and put into the temple. Uh, the ark represented three things, and these are the three things that God's people have. The presence of God among his people, uh, the discernible will of God, so we, we can know what God wants for our lives, and then the wrath of God upon his enemies, the power of God. So they carried the ark into the battle in the right, Old Testament. Right. Uh, Moses went to the ark to hear God's word in Exodus chapter 25. And then the presence of God was symbolized by the ark. And what this is basically saying is, as we face the powers of the age, those four spiritual powers, Satan, the false beast, the false prophet, and Babylon, we do not give up. We do not lose hope because we have the presence of God. We have the will of God, the knowledge of his will through the word, through, through the Holy Spirit, and the wrath of God, which fights for us mm. and will ultimately vindicate us mm. as his people. This is good news. Yeah. This is reason to rejoice. It is also reason to fight stronger. And it is also reason to solemnly gather together and remember he sits on the throne and the kingdom of this world has become his kingdom. It's just a matter of time before we see it. Mm. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It was good having you guys I here. I enjoyed it. It was awesome. Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah. My two favorite single guys at Waters Church. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we will be here next week on our regular schedule, Wednesday at 12 noon. This was The Deep End. <laughs>